290 of the Sleeper in the Bus. It is your Tuesday edition, and I am Paul Spore. Joined, as always, on Tuesdays, at least in season, by Eno Saris. But, Eno, this is the second episode in a row that's been on the day that it is during the season. I mean, this is just starting to feel downright normal. How you doing, man? <laughs> yeah, well. Except for the uh, fact we that we have, have a space heater on. That's not normal for baseball. <laughs> right. I'm freezing in my in – my, I, I guess I'm really in uh, – it's not my mother's uh, basement. Uh, but uh, I am blogging from the garage, which has no insulation, and so it does feel kind of basement-like. And so, uh, you know, insert all other uh, trash talking on nerds in their basement. I was say that it's it's perfect uh, for you to be <laughs> blogging there in the off season. It sounds like you need a hot stove in there. But um, obviously, Jason and I came out on Sunday and talked about DFA guys. I mentioned that you and I would be saving. For all the trades, we'd have all the trades saved for you and I to talk about. So that's big thing of what we're going to focus on today: the big moves that have gone down, how they infect—I uh, almost said infect—impact uh, <laughs> the fantasy landscape. Uh, also, a couple notable signings and qualifying offers that were accepted. We're going to talk about that, and then a couple od- odds and ends at the very end of the show. But you know, let's dive right in because again, we got a lot of trades to talk about. Some big moves have already happened, and we haven't even hit Thanksgiving. So I think we're going to get another crazy hot stove league like we did last year. Um, it's been off to a big start. Craig Kimbrell, probably the biggest piece be move. We're not going in order, uh, any real order to be honest. But I did start with what I think is the biggest move, which is Craig Kimbrell to Boston. Uh, San Diego gets back Manuel Margot, Javier Guerra, and a couple of other pieces. Those are the two main pieces, Margot and Guerra. Although I heard all four pieces are actually pretty solid. It's a really solid return from what I read from prospect folks uh, with Kimbrell. But for the fantasy landscape right away in 2016, that's a huge shift. First off, ALNL only leagues got a huge change there. My buddy has just been getting obliterated this season. He's got Lance Lynn. He's got Craig Kimbrell on his team. This is an NL only team. Um, I'm trying to think of who else he's got that, that that's gotten hurt. He's seriously lost like four guys already. So yeah, mm-hmm. if you're in an NL only league, if you had a decent contract on Kimbrell, He's gone. Now he moves over to Boston. That bumps Koji Yohara out. Obviously, that's good because they don't have to worry about him so much because he was always kind of a when, not if in terms of a breakdown. You almost felt like there's always going to be a situation at some point in the season with him. So now they got a lockdown, solid closer. What do you think of Craig Kimbrell in Boston, you know? Uh, I mean, I think the return was great. Uh, it's it. it I, I don't even know where to start. It's like so many things going on in this trade. It's great. Because what you said was, you, you think we're going to have another another uh, crazy hot stove season. And I, and I agree. And I think it's mostly because there are new uh, GMs. Exactly. And, you know, what have we seen in the past from new GMs is, you know, they, they, they want to trade. They want to put their stamp on the team. They want to, you know, shake things up right away. And that's why they were hired. So A.J. Preller uh, makes the connection here to, uh, you know, Dave Dombrowski uh, I don't know if he's uh, technically the GM, but um, I think he's probably running the ship there. And so that's interesting because it's like last year's new trader, Vic, you know, with the with the new guy. Yeah. Um, and then uh, on top of that, uh, you know, I was joking with you a little bit with, you know, Dombrowski's bad pens in, in <laughs> Detroit. And the first thing uh, he does is make sure that doesn't happen again. <laughs> right. And then on top of that, it might it might be a bit of an overpay because – I I think that the package that San Diego got is probably better than the one that they sent to um, that they sent to to Atlanta. So oh, heck yeah! I mean, Margot is 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 
you know, I think the lists are going to come out soon and you're going to be surprised. I mean, like, uh, I don't know if he'll be top 10, but I'll wager he's top 20 for sure. And, um, you know, he's, he's exciting. He's close double a, you know, he can play center field when he's young at the very least. Um, and, and he looks like the kind of guy who can start off hitting 275, 280 with 10 to 15 homers and 30 steals. I mean, that's a really good beginning for fantasy guys. And it might be this year. I mean, who knows? I mean, they don't really want to go out there with uh, Bossman Jr. out there. So, um, you know, I, I think he, Mel. yeah, Melvin, I, I think he's close. And he might be relevant this year. If not at the beginning of the year, then, then you know, later on, July or September. But Absolutely. Um, you know, and then Javi Guerra, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't knock your socks off with stats, but I did talk to somebody in the organization, and he said that, you know, by you know this time next year, people will be much more excited about Javi Guerra, and that he's got a lot to show, and that, you know, honestly, he may be the quote-unquote shortstop of the future there in San Diego. So they certainly don't have one right now. I mean, Jed Jerko's <laughs> listed on depth charts. Uh, he, he, I don't think that that's that was, a long-term solution. That was my second question to my friend, and uh, he said, yeah. Uh, it Jed for now. <laughs> uh, yeah, very temporary, I, I hope, for their sake. Although, I will say it does help in fantasy. I've never been a huge Jed Jerko guy, but you tag on some shortstop eligibility, it does make him a bit more appealing. Uh, you mentioned that the, this is a better return because they also got Carl uh, Aswaje. I, I don't think I'm pronouncing that properly, but A-S-U-A-J-E, and then Logan Allen. Again, two other guys that definitely aren't as big as, as Margot and Garrow, but aren't scrubs either. They're not totally D-level prospects. So that's a heck of a return. For those that don't remember, this is what San Diego had to give up for Kimbrel. They had to give up uh, Matt Whistler, who's you know, he didn't he wasn't great in the majors this year, but he's still projected for a pretty high ceiling. Cam Mabin. Jordan Parabek, a minor leaguer, and then Carlos Quinton's contract, which they promptly cut. Now, part of the reason that that was a lesser deal, though, we have to include the fact that Melvin Upton, the aforementioned, was included in that deal, and that was a big salary dump for uh, Atlanta. You know, he got paid 14.5 last year. He's going to get 15.5 this year, and then 16.5 in 2017. So that's – when when you realize it's that much money – that, that really levels it out a bit more. But the simple fact is, from San Diego's standpoint, yeah, they took the year, uh, see what they could do. It didn't work out. Well, maybe we're not as close as we thought. We certainly don't need a Kimbrel, especially when they've – and I know it's been other GMs, but they've been a, a, a reliever factory out there. Plus, I think they've got two very good ones in Brandon Maurer and, and Kevin Quackenbush. So they figure, you know what? We don't need a lockdown stud closer. Let's see what we can get. And holy crap, yeah, they've still got the Melvin Upton money, but those four players that they got, that's a really nice return. What about Kimbrel in, in, in Boston? Uh, does he become the top closer in the American League if you're doing an American League only? I couldn't really find a reason for any of the stuff that happened to him last year. There's no, no real, it's very weird. No real pitching mix change or, you know, uh, I guess, you know, that's, that's when you start using the L word. Uh, and you call it luck. And, and in fact, you know, Craig Kimbrough actually, I saw an appearance with him on MLB Network recently, and he said, I think he pretty much, I think he said the word sequencing. He said something about, wow. like, he said something about, like, you know, certain things happen in a certain order and, you know, just didn't work out as well as it could have this year or something. I mean, it was basically like the eh, sequencing. But you know what? Well, a 258 ERA, uh, you know, still struck out 13 per nine and, you know, was. <laughs> 
you know, was, he was Phil, a boss. He was Phil, a boss. And, well, he had more ground balls in 2015 than 2014, but that Padres – uh, offense uh, defense, excuse me, is a lot worse than uh, the Braves. First off, just at shortstop Malone is a colossal change. We mentioned Jed Jerko was getting a lot of time there. That had, that had Angelton Simmons. It's not too surprising that we saw a 41 point increase in his BABIP. And you know, maybe to to Kimbrel's point, yeah, the ERA went up by almost a run, but. Was it really his fault when you look at the skills? The, the strikeouts went down a, a, a little bit from super unbelievable elite to just elite. Um, and he actually cut his walks from 11% to 9%. You know, he did the things that you would think would have returned at least a, a similar year to the ones that he'd been putting up. Instead, it was his worst year, which is hilarious because it was a 258 ERA and a 104 whip. I kind of agree with him. If he, if he thinks it was just sequencing and maybe some bad luck, I, I'm with you. I don't find a case that suggests otherwise. Yeah, and the, in terms of who he's, you know, up against in the next, uh, in the new league, you you, you look to Britain, uh, Miller, um, yeah, Allen. Yeah, Wade. I, I'd go with Wade Davis first, uh, and then and and then I like where you're at with Kimbrel. Zach Britton and, and Cody Allen are, are right there as well. I think Britton and Cody Allen probably don't get as much love as they deserve. They're excellent. Uh, Britton really added strikeouts after having that amazing ground ball rate. I really think he's he makes a good case to be in the top five of overall closers. Then Andrew Miller as well. I agree with you there. Um, I guess there's some risk with Miller and Batances always. Of course. And and there you know there's some you know rumors that Miller might be traded or whatever, but. Um, you know that I don't think that really matters to to Miller's quality, and uh, he's been great since he's been in the pen. But I think um, I think Davis. I think my top three would be something. I think I might put Kimbrel ahead of Davis. Uh, I don't know. Um, just a lot of innings from Davis, and uh, I don't That's know. Fair. Maybe Davis Kimbrel. Uh, it's hard to really uh, separate those guys too much. Um, and then um, and then I think uh, Miller. Uh, Britain, there's some risk that he steps back again and strike out Ray, um, and uh, and then I guess uh, Allen, Allen and Britain right after that. That you know that group is is so good, it's really and good, it's, and it's deeper now to the point where I think that's a tier almost. I mean, yeah, you, you could argue, you could argue that yeah, right. You could argue that Kimbrel and Davis separate themselves, but do they separate themselves so much from a guy like Cody Allen who has a 13 per nine strikeout rate of his own? No. I don't think so. So if if uh, if I'm looking at, at an AL only league next year, I, I'm probably looking at owning Britain or, or Allen, and um, and just trying to pay a dollar or two less than the other guys, or, or three or four dollars less than the other guys, or, or wait around and, and get them the next round. I mean, and we didn't even know, mention David Robertson. Who, I know exactly. who did nothing to to suggest that he isn't still great, even though it was a little bit hidden being on on the White Sox because they didn't pan out the way a lot of folks thought. So you know he's sitting right there too. So even if you miss that whole first run and you had to quote unquote settle for Robertson. You probably wouldn't feel that bad. And what if Chapman comes over from Houston, right. uh, or for Houston? Excuse me, because they've been talking about wanting a closer. And Jason and I talked a little bit about that. What if he came over? Oh my gosh, that would be insane. You and could really wait on closers in the AL. And if Osuna stays in closing, Toronto, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it stays in, in closing. Then, then you've really got uh, a nice uh, like eight deep. I mean, you really. What do you want to do? Like, what do you really want to spend twenty dollars on? You got to wait at that point, and I, when you I, can spend twelve or fourteen on Zach Britton or 
You know, David Robinson or Cody Allen? I don't, I don't think so. No, I think you're I, 100% I, correct there. I will say, though, that I, you know, for, after a few years in AL labor of buying the very worst closer that I could, um, you know, I'm going to stop doing that. Uh, <laughs> well, I think it's so tough some, in, a, in a single league especially. Yeah, I think there's some value of staying out of the basement. And so it's another thing that you've heard me talk about not really loving dollar players. Yep. And, uh, and I think that the fewer dollar players you can have and, the, and the, the fewer worst players at a position you can have, the better. Like, just get off of that floor. And so I, I like, you know, being 8 to 10 in a 12-team league and you get a closer, you know, the eighth best closer is probably, in this case, you know, a guy like David Robertson. You know, if he or stays healthy. Yeah. I you mean, know, has good luck. That's really good. That's, wow. Yeah. It, it, it's really different. You uh, should have saved five to six seven dollars on it so yeah uh, and as much as i like some of the premium closers I, i'm not totally against that that premium closer uh move early that that guys like uh, mike siano and Corey schwartz over at mlb.com they push that and I, I i'm right there with them like i'm okay with that i took wade davis and kenley jansen in the fifth and sixth round um with uh in that NFBC draft that I've referenced a whole bunch that I did back in Arizona. So I'm not against that. But when you're talking about an AL only league, as we, as we bring Kimbrell into the picture, all of a sudden I'm going to back off of that super top tier and start to look a little bit deeper because I think you're not going to take much of a hit and you can save a couple rounds, get another offensive player or a, a big arm at the front, something like that. So Kimbrell, one player just ch- changed the dynamics quite a bit there uh, in the AL and it might not be done. Like I said, Chapman, He's definitely on the market. We'll see if he goes. Let's move on to the next trade, though. I talk about that Aaron Hicks to New York uh, for John Ryan Murphy to Minnesota. Now, the Murphy piece going back to Minnesota doesn't have that big of an impact fantasy-wise. You know, Although I will say that he'll latch on to another point that you just made about, an, especially in an only league, those dollar players that you don't necessarily want. I think a big factor is that catcher two spot. A lot of guys like to just kind of, piss that away one dollar i'll get whatever piece of garbage at the very end and it's just a huge negative baseball hq did uh does a study about it in game players at each position that's the biggest loss that you can take the one dollar catcher i think somebody like a john ryan murphy if you invest the the three four bucks actually maybe he might be a little bit more an a only i don't know maybe he would have been more if he was still with the yankees but i don't think he's going to cost too much especially if he doesn't have the job but if he's you know from that three to five dollar range for your second catcher, you're plugging in somebody that's capable. You're not taking that zero. So I think that's the kind of value that that Murphy has. The real piece in this deal is Hicks going to New York. So I really want to get your thoughts there. Is Hicks just kind of the Chris Young replacement um, as the lefty killer? Or do you think that Hicks might have shown something that suggests that he might finally pan out on his lofty uh, prospect status? You know, I think the floor is about the same as it was on Hicks. I think that the floor is is what you're saying is a, is a versus uh, lefty right-handed bench slash fourth outfielder kind of bat. I do think that's, um, that's still in effect, and that would have been in effect in Minnesota. And actually, maybe he had a better chance of having an everyday role in Minnesota but, um, uh, than he does in New York, which is still a little bit more crowded. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you know, New York is super, super old, and – you know, given that they have Carlos Beltran in an outfield spot, A Rod in the DH spot, and Teixeira at first, <laughs> oh you know, my God. there's going to be, you know, their 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 relative health last year is probably not going to continue next year, and that that gives uh, gives you a lot of 
of opportunity for Hicks to actually become a semi-everyday player. You know, some people will point it to the fact that Chris Young played like 140 games last year. That's uh, an unfair number. I would not use that number because he only had like 395 plate appearances. Exactly. That was defensive replacement, pinch yeah. hit kind of situations. Yeah. You, you have to look at the plate appearances at times right. too to, so, to match it. I think the floor for Hicks is still like 350 plate appearances of decent work. The ceiling, though, I think it might be like 500, 550 plate appearances. This is the type of dollar thing that I can get into. I don't know. Maybe it'll be more than a dollar, but these are the kind of dollar things that I like. Uh, maybe a dollar fifth outfielder that might be a platoon guy or might play a little bit more. Like your Ryan Rayburn types, or, you know, those guys, at least the floor is, you know, 300 plate appearances and not, you know, zero. So, um, <clears throat> I, I tend to, to, to get at one of those guys in a dollar slot in my fifth outfielder and AL onlys. I think Hicks is going to be a, one of the better versions of that because um, I do like the way that he became aggressive inside the zone and paired that with a good sense of where the zone was, good power, good tools. He's an athletic guy. Um, I think that they bought this guy because they think there's upside and that they're an aging team and they wanted a young guy with some upside. Yeah, I, I... – I actually echo just everything you said there, so I'm not going to go ahead and, and find a different way to say all of that. And I don't think you're too far off in a mixed league, uh, you know, 15 teams and above, with Hicks being a dollar guy. We'll see how it changes over the winter, and if he is given a starting job, all of a sudden that would change. But if he goes in as that fourth outfielder, Chris Young type, you know, basically the Chris Young replacement. He's not going to be too much more. I got him in that same 15-team league I keep referencing. I got him in the 19th round. You know, that's a one, two-dollar player at that point. Um, not, it's not, it's not that much. Um, so I, I'm with you there. He still only hit 256, had a sub 400 slug. So even though there's 11 stolen, 11 homers and 13 stolen bases, I don't think people are going to be making you pay through the nose for him. Although. The, the, the effect that I suggested for John Ryan Murphy uh, is now going to be in effect for Hicks. Yankees, they, they, I don't know. I still feel, at least in my, um, some of the drafts that I do, that they tend to cost a little bit more than the norm. So maybe moving from Minnesota to the Yankees is enough to add a couple bucks to Hicks. But it's a small, it's a small gamble that I'll be willing to take for sure. And I obviously already maybe, did in maybe that I draft. So the, the, uh, the problem is that also people uh, think of that, that – uh, so the problem is that some of those people think of that thing as a uh, as that park is a is a great park for hitters, and it is for lefties. It's not as much for righties. So oh yeah, they uh, think of it as an automatic launching pad. But you know what? If he continues to switch hit, maybe that's the little boost that he needs. Where you know he gets a little boost from the park when he hits from the left side, and then all of a sudden you're talking about a guy who you know is really exciting because the park helps him with lefties, and uh, maybe he has some weird splits away as a lefty, but you know, in the sum, he's he's a good player. So, so we're pro Hicks. The power could be there again. The the upside is to be, or, or the kind of the downside is to be that lefty sub, uh, which will still have some value in, in leagues. Let's move over to the Angelton Simmons deal. I mentioned him earlier as the guy who was defending uh, ground balls for Craig Kimbrell a couple years ago. Well. Now neither of them are on Atlanta anymore. Angelton Simmons gets dealt to the Angels for Eric Ibar, Sean Newcomb, and Chris Ellis. Ibar and Newcomb are the real pieces there, but I think Ellis, again, from what I read, I don't know anything about him personally. He was an okay piece, but definitely the clear third piece 
in this deal. Newcomb is somebody who, uh, at the highest end, a lot of folks think he can become kind of a frontline guy. And Ibar, we know what he is. He's a steady Eddie kind of kind of shortstop, but certainly not better than Andrelton Simmons in any way. This one was a little bit surprising to me, and I consider myself a, a Newcomb guy. I really like him. Um, but I thought that Andrelton Simmons would get more. When he was on the block, and I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And then I, I saw some rumors with the Mets, and they'd ask for DeGrom or Syndergaard. And you know, I sent it to my buddy who's a Mets fan, and we kind of laughed about it. But at the same time, I understood why Atlanta would do it, just to see, hey, premium shortstop. He's shown some pop in the past. The bat isn't great, but the defense is so good that you're still getting a, a, a three, four win player every year. Maybe. Well, it didn't work. And then they ended up getting this deal, though. So they got older with Ibar, obviously. But Newcomb is, is, is the key. Is Newcomb a good enough piece to kind of to kind of hinge this trade on? How, how did you feel about this trade when you saw Andrelton Simmons going to the Angels for uh, Ibar, Newcomb, and Ellis? You know, I, it, it's just a little bit concerning that they've been training away all their bats for arms. You'd think that at some point they'd be collecting some bats, too. But... Um, other than that, uh, people say that that uh, Newcomb has a decent amount of upside. I just hope that, for the Braves' sake, that Simmons doesn't refine that power. Um, that, that could be had. trouble. Yeah, because if he even gets back to just that uh, league average power that he kind of hinted at or, or pretty much showed the first couple of years, the, the 140, 145 type ISO, uh, and becomes a guy who hits 20 homers, even if he doesn't walk a lot more, he makes so much contact that that's going to be a guy that's going to be one of the better shortstops in the league. Exactly. I mean, he was a four-and-a-half win guy in 2013. Um, and that's sort of fallen off since he hasn't reached, hasn't shown that power again. And, I, you know, that's that's also really important for the uh, the owners. The, the thing that's bad for him, of course, is that he's going to one of the worst parks um, that he could and in in terms of the AL, and he's going to be playing in a division that has a lot of bad parks, so it's hard for him. You know, you can only play in Texas so often. You know, he still has True. to play. He still has to play in Oakland and Anaheim and Seattle, and uh, I don't think that this will be. Uh, this isn't necessarily the groundworks for for a, a great power uh, explosion. Twenty six years old. It's pretty much what you would consider what I consider power peak. I've, I've done a lot of aging curves recently. Um, the home run for fly ball aging curve is, is bad. It just goes down from the beginning. The ISO power uh, aging curve just goes down from 25 down, you know, wow. and uh, the batted ball aging curve just goes down from 25. So pretty much uh, 25 years old is the real peak, <laughs> um, when it, at least when it comes to power. I'm sure you can learn um, some sort of plate discipline skills and some other things to to maybe make up for that, but I just don't. He's not. He's not showing those plate discipline skills. And he's going the wrong way and everything, basically. Yeah, the power's going the wrong way, and he's 26. So, um, I, <clears throat> you know, Steamer. I think I might take the under on Steamer. Honestly, it's like I don't see why he's going to have a 104 ISO after two years of being under 100. And uh, I mean, I know that. You know, I guess 27 is supposed to be better than 26, but uh, <clears throat> I, I'm, I guess I'm just I'm out on him. And I guess that's probably what the Braves were thinking. It was a you know defense and power peak early. He's shown all the value he can show on defense and uh, and power and the power's going the wrong way already. So um, he's not going to be better than this. So this is going to be the best uh, we can get for him. Yeah, I, I 
I kind of get the idea of trying to sell high. I just thought maybe it would be a little bit higher. And yeah. <laughs> I think maybe part of it is for those of us that really aren't aren't so keen on it for uh, for the Braves is that we count Ibar as kind of a nothing, um, un, un, probably unfairly, because they're not competing. So you know, getting some veteran solid unspectacular source i'm like well that's whatever who cares because that's a placeholder maybe they flip him for something in season and you kind of add that to newcomb and ellis and maybe it'll look better i don't know i i'm i i didn't love the deal for the angels though either obviously you're not liking simmons all that much i'm thinking with the angels did you really need to do that like i get that simmons is is the best defensively and having the best of something is good in baseball in any sport really you know anytime you can have the best of something that's a, that's a that's a good thing to have for sure but is he that much better than Ibar that you want to give up the last prospect that you had i mean they've got nothing now jason and i were making a joke that he's the second best prospect in their system and i'm the third best <laughs> so uh, we couldn't yeah, figure and out and, and what their, their rotation is old as dirt so that, that, i just so that's the thing honestly i almost like it better for the uh for the braves even though i thought it was a little bit of an underwhelming return for what i what i perceived that Angleton might bring they're just probably just thinking about what do we need to do to be competitive this year what are we going to do this year and what and and this year they have you know with tropiano they have seven guys yeah you know so they're thinking so, we don't necessarily need Newcomb this year. And you're right. I think it is more of a short-term focus. And if they can get, uh, you know, just, God, get a halfway decent bat, if you can get them just under average with the bat, keep that defense great. Now we've got premium defense up the middle with, with Trout and Angleton Simmons. That's pretty great. Okay. We'll see how it works. It's just the trade didn't move me one way or the other when I saw it. And when I really came out, at the end, I was like, I think that the Braves fans might actually be a tick happier. Um, again, because I do like Newcomb. Uh, for those unfamiliar with him, he did have a nice season results-wise, but the dude just could not find the the uh, the, the strike zone for, for anything. That, that's been the big problem with him coming up so far. He did have 11 strikeouts per nine, but five walks. But he's unhittable, real tough to square up, 6.4 hits per nine. This was in 136 innings split between three levels, A ball, high A, and double A. Um, so, you know, never really settled in one spot, but the strikeouts, the, 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 everything was the same at every level. Tough to hit, tons of strikeouts, tons of walks. Keeps the ball on the ground, doesn't allow homers. There's a lot to like there. If you can get that, that uh, walk rate in check and, and maybe, they, maybe the Braves see something that they think that they can fix to kind of get that control in place, honestly, I think he's some control away from being a frontline option. But that's easier said than done. How many guys have we said that about in the minors who are blowing guys away left and right? Hey, if they can just control it a little bit, they'll be great. You know, Archie Bradley, Trevor Bauer, uh, th- that happens a ton. So just because it's one thing doesn't mean that it's going to be an easy fix for Newcomb to reach his heights. Yeah, I, I agree so much. I mean, there's just – I, I I've said a piece today about relievers that – you know, I, I listened to you and Jason uh, talk about DFAs, and then I went and looked in uh, the DFA market and um, kind of other places for cheap relievers for teams. And I kind of, <clears throat> you know, kind of solidified in my head that there's there's these two profiles you can look for, and you can look for the you can look for the pa- the, the power stuff profile with the bad command. I mean, if you're looking for a bargain, right? If you're yes. looking for 
acquirable asset. You're going to either look for, you know, uh, a, a powerful arm. Uh, maybe you're. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I use Alan Webster as a as a as an example because he's uh, he was 94 once, and I think as a reliever he has the chance to be 94 again. So, totally agree. <clears throat> you have a guy who's going to be 94 has zero command, minus minus command, minus minus makeup uh, in terms of uh, on on field presence or whatever. Um, and, and you're saying, well, these, the pitches move really well. And, uh, I think he can, with velocity, he can overcome these, uh, the minus minus command. So, uh, that's the sort of profile you go for, or you go for the kind of, um, I guess, uh, Kirby Yates or, 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 uh, Brandon Gomes profile, um, you know, just to name another sort of equivalent guy to Alan Webster. Um, those guys, uh, have shown better command, um, but have lesser stuff. Brandon Gomes in particular is like 89, 90. Yeah. Um, and it's nice that he has, he has the 90 mile an hour fastball. He has a split finger. He has, a, he has maybe two breaking balls. So it's like, well, he has a lot of pitches. It's kind of like the broad arsenal with command. And we think he can, you know, sequence those things well to, 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 to win. And <clears throat> if you had, you know, great stuff and great command, you wouldn't be able to buy him. <laughs> that, that's the thing. That's the thing. And, you know, we talk about it in the fantasy landscape a lot, but also in the real life landscape, buying low, there has to be warts or else you're not, you yeah. can't really buy low. Obviously, if there's some hidden value that's, you know, not really hidden, it's kind of right there under the surface, everyone's going to see it. To really buy low, there has to be at least one giant wart and usually a couple, like you said with Webster, minus, minus command and makeup for crying <laughs> out loud. And yet when we talked – when Jason and I talked about it, I was like, you know what? I still think that in the bullpen, this would not be that surprising of a reclamation. Well, if I, remember, I mean Carlos Carrasco you know, was 96, 97 in the bullpen and all of a sudden it didn't matter that he didn't really have great command. So I, I – you know – you, I think that a, a good uh, a good team tries to acquire both, and honestly, it looks like Atlanta's kind of doing that because they they have a couple guys that have command and, and have broad arsenals that are in their minor league system, and then they also have you know they're also gone and got stuff guys. And, Absolutely. And, and, and you know who knows? There's no you know there's no science to this. It's more more of an art, and uh, and uh, you know, so I think that's uh, you know Newcomb in that way is good. They're, uh, the, the Braves are just doing the opposite of the Cubs to try and get a couple studs so that they can trade one of the studs to the Cubs for one of their stud hitters. That's all they're doing. They figure. They, you know what? I think it is a little bit different because people have set up the Mets and the in the Cubs as being different, where the Mets uh, built up a lot of uh, of arm strength, you know, of, of pitching, yeah. and never really dealt it for a hitter. I think that we're seeing something a little bit different with the Braves. I think. And not that I can speak. I mean, I know Kylie's there, but I haven't talked to him about this in particular. And and I love John Coppola, and I haven't talked to him about this. But it, to, it seems to me like they're gonna, they're willing to trade pitch. I mean, they're already talking about trading Shelby Miller. Exactly. And, they're they're going to trade anything to try to get better. It seems right. And I think you know what they're what they're thinking is we're going to have a neutral to to better than neutral uh, pitching park. So we're going to be a little bit like the A's. And I think that's what they're going to do is that they're going to build up a lot of young arms in the minors. They're going to come up and they're going to be more successful than they maybe should be because they're going to come up in the National League. They're going to be pitching to pitchers. They're going to be pitching to eighth hitters. They're going to be pitching in that park and they're going to be pitching in, in Miami. Yep. And they're going to look good, um, you know, and then they're, they're going to be more tradable. And, and if, they, if they have good coaches in, pl- in place, 
then you can you can reclaim a guy like Shelby Miller and turn him into you know a couple other pieces, and maybe those pieces will be bats because you know it's hard to trade an asset that everybody knows is available for like the best bat you can get, you know, best bat prospect you can get. But if you're trading, you know, a starting pitcher and everybody wants a starting pitcher and he looked great last year and like a guy like Shelby Miller then you can get uh, an under-control young bat. I a think. premium bat, exactly. No, I, I think you make a great point there with regards to the fact that they're not necessarily just saying we're only getting pitching. They just happen to be getting a lot of pitching in these trades. But you didn't even mention uh, Tehran could also be moved. Now, he's not his stock isn't as high as Miller's is after the years that they had, but you're still talking about a 25-year-old in Tehran who has two excellent years and then, uh, you know, an average kind of bland year this year. It looked like uh, 404 ERA. That's probably what a 95 ERA plus uh, or something like that. If you're if you're looking at at Baseball Reference, so you know, but two excellent years before that, he could also bring back a pretty solid young under control bat probably not as good as miller but still a quality one and i think they're open to moving those guys like we said they just have happened to move all the hitters right now and we'll see if by the way do you think freeman's gonna go uh, of of freeman whoops knock my water off the table sorry of <laughs> freeman tehran and miller which if any do you think will realistically go this winter uh miller because uh tehran's value is not uh, high enough okay uh, and they maybe they can they think that he can uh, play better, and um, and I don't think um, I don't think that that Freeman will be that okay because uh, you know twenty million a year um, is only going to be cheaper and cheaper as he goes along. I mean twenty million dollars a year uh, is that's what they're so, going to pay. That's him. such a funny sentence, by the way. It's, you're a hundred percent right, but it's a really funny <laughs> sentence to think about. That's only well, going to be cheaper. That's that's peanuts for a guy like that. I mean, if Freeman was on the market right now, make and way he's more than twenty going into his, his yeah. I mean, this year he's going to make uh, twelve, but uh, twenty seventeen he's going to be making twenty million dollars, and and they're going to be competitive in twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen. They're hoping to be competitive somewhere in there, and he's going to be a twenty million dollar in his uh, in his prime first baseman that on the market would cost more. So yeah, uh, I think that that they they're happy with him. They're going to hold on to him. They better be blown away if they make if they make a deal for him, not just one of these ones where we're like, okay, they made a deal. It has to be one of those. Wow, look what they, <clears throat> pardon me, look what they got for Freeman. <clears throat> yeah. uh, if they do move him, because there's no real reason to do it otherwise, because of what you mentioned, the fact that he's locked up, he's already shown greatness, he can get better. I think he could really, realistically evolve into a big power threat too. They really need uh, Oliveira to. To turn into out. Something you're, you're right. You're absolutely <laughs> Just looking right. Looking at that team, they they've got nothing else on that team that's well worth a snot offensively. Let's talk about another guy that they moved uh, uh, recently. They moved Cameron Mabin to my Detroit Tigers for uh, Ian Kroll and another minor leaguer. Ian Kroll with nothing, kind of a uh, nothing piece of that Doug Fister deal. When I desperately wanted it to be Drew Storen, when 
they were waiting for what was going to come out on that deal. Oh, what, what other pieces? I'm like, well, there has to be one of the good relievers, Clippert or Storen, and it was stupid Ian Kroll. So they didn't get really much back, but not that Cameron Maben is, is something special. But he had an all right year last year. First off, the real important thing was that Cameron Maben stayed healthy. 555 plate appearances after 272 and 57 the two years before. Just couldn't stay on the field. 697 OPS, not knocking your socks off. A little bit below average, but some pop. 10 homers. 23 stone bases. So from a fantasy standpoint, he was a solid outfielder, uh, outfielding option. At age 29, going back to the team uh, where it started at all, for those that might not remember, he was the, the key component with Andrew Miller, uh, who's now obviously a stud closer, for Miguel Cabrera. And obviously, Mabin hasn't really panned out. Miller hasn't panned out as expected, but neither of them were worth a lick for Florida at the time, Miami currently. Uh, is there any hope for more from Mabin, or, or would would are you just expecting maybe more of the same? His good years are a little bit either above average, like he was in 2011, or usually a couple ticks below, like he was this year and in uh, 2012 when he also played 561 plate appearances. The defense is where he gets his value. The power-speed combo is how he's able to maintain some fantasy value. But do you see anything more from Mabin, or just more of the same? <clears throat> yeah i i don't know i'm not i'm not really that i'm not that really that uh optimistic anymore it's hard to be i mean he's going to be 29 the one thing I, dombrowski's gone so i you know i usually put this on dombrowski as a thing but one of the things that i always liked about their trades was I thought they were really good at acquiring major league talent and, and kind of getting the best out of it. I mentioned Doug Fister, who they had, were trading it in, in, in the reference I was making. But when they traded for him, he wasn't that special. And they, they got that extra level out of him. They really took the skills that he had and maximized them. They've done that with a lot of different guys. Um, and as I mentioned several times in this podcast, I'm terrible at coming up with the examples right off the top of my head. But I've written about it. We've seen it before with them. When they get major league guys, they often can get another level out of them. Anibal Sanchez has done some of his best work with them uh, this year notwithstanding. And there are others too. Maybe they still see something in Mabin. J.D. Martinez would be a good one. Uh, Maybe they still see something in Mabin that, hey, we're going to get this guy. We had him before, obviously, and Al Avila was around when, when, uh, when Mabin was picked. Maybe they see something, but I don't know what they could see. So it's just... Honestly, I'm going to admit it. It's Tiger's optimism. I don't have a, a concrete well, reason that I could tell you I'll go out and draft him. So I wouldn't. You could you could make the case that if, if uh, Maven swung a little bit more, uh, better things can happen because, um, you know, he's got a good contact rate and he doesn't reach a lot. So, you know, he's the kind of guy that maybe people have told, you know, you need to walk, you need to walk and maybe. Maybe a new voice says, you know, don't worry so much about walking. Just put the ball in play. And, and maybe you see a little bit more of a, a power boost, right? And then you know, maybe he gets league average power with a league average OBP. And then and, the speed. Uh, maybe some league average defense. And then all of a sudden you've got a two-win player that you've got for, you know, two uh, could-be loogies. Not even necessarily are loogies. Absolutely. And in uh, the past... He's shown well above league average defense. Now, the, the metrics haven't liked him the last couple of years, and I don't know how much the injuries play into that. But when he was good with the Padres, he was he was showing out very well defensively. So, you know, maybe yeah, they like I the think, defense as well. Right, and I think that the floor was is good for them. The floor is uh, good versus uh, lefties um, 
and an option for, for ghosts. They can go ghost Maven. Yeah, so they've still got um, depth at the position. They still got two. Uh, I don't want to say young, but like two players that could be better next year. Yeah, and well, uh, Ghost is still young, younger, yeah, but yeah, uh, I know, I, maybe I didn't want to call him necessarily maybe young, but yeah, two players that could be better next year that that complement each other with handedness. So it's a really good fit, I think, in terms of you know, putting together a center field on the cheap. Um, you know, it's it's one of the best ways to do it is is to find a righty and a lefty and smush them together and. You know that gives you a defensive replacement for the other positions, and Definitely. kind of a natural, you know, a natural fourth outfielder in there. So, <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, I think it's, it was a definitely a good trade for them. Um, a little surprised that the Braves couldn't get more for Maven, but given the fact that um, he's put up uh, less than a win in three seasons, yeah, um, probably tough sign. He kind of fell off in that second half. He was off to a much better season. In fact, yeah, I'm looking at the splits now. 774 first half OPS, 600 in the second half, um, really hurt by an ugly September. So he sputtered to the finish with just a 525 in 72 plate appearances. But I'm with you. I like that move for the Tigers. There is some upside in there, not a ton, even if he is just the guy he was last year uh, with fewer plate appearances focused against lefties. It could be an asset. And Jason and I talked about this the other day. Uh, speed, you know, was way down this year. And if that continues, you're talking about a guy who can get you 20, 20 swipes with, without getting that zero in power. I always have trouble taking those, those pure speed guys who give me nothing. He, he's, always got, he's always had some power. He has eight, nine, eight, and then ten last year for homers for Maven. So not yeah, a bad fantasy asset for speed. The only thing is in terms of like he's probably an AL only guy. And in terms of um, you know trying to figure out what happens next year, we're all if you if you draft early in particular, you're going to be trying to guess between him and goes. That's that's and, true. And Very true. Not, that makes that means that neither one of them will be a dollar player, and neither one of them will be a safe five dollar player. You know, yeah, that's a great. So point. you're kind of you're going to have to go with your gut and just be like because goes would be the natural guy for more playing time considering he's a lefty definitely but maybin has maybe been the more all-around player has sh- more of a track record has shown it you know so, yeah. so can't can't disagree with either of those points and your point but, about drafting early is very apt but uh but behind him uh there's always I love always looking behind a trade and uh, and I think there is an, uh, an opening now with the Braves in the outfield. I Who mean, do you like there? Honestly, there's an opening on the Braves in a lot of for spots. everything, for kind <laughs> of everything except first base right now, yeah. and a couple of pitching spots. Otherwise, yeah. But uh, it's wide open. I'm looking at roster resource right now. They've actually slotted in Michael Bourne now. I kind of forgot that they had Michael Bourne beyond this season. Oh, they're they're supposedly shopping him, so uh, I, they can't I think keep that, him. He's too old. Yeah, I mean, for that. and even if they do, I doubt that they make him a regular. Not a team that's looking towards the future like that, unless they're trying to make him a regular for a month and, and to trade. Say, yeah, yeah, immediately right. flip. Any names Hopefully. that you could think of that would interest yes. you? Then Malik Smith. Ooh, okay. Speed Demon, who was involved in the Justin Upton deal, I believe. Yes, and. Um, he just looks ready. I mean, in, just statistically, he looks ready. Um, you know, Kylie had him uh, with a needing to you know shore up his hit tool, but being uh, an eighty speed, um, <clears throat> sixty field guy. Uh, That's a great name. You know, and I love his name. Yeah, Malik Smith. 
Uh, and he's done double A and triple A now. He's uh, he's uh, uh, shown a good walk rate on almost every spot. He's never struck out twenty percent of the time. Wow. Uh, you know he doesn't have any power, but you know maybe didn't show that much power last year and. Um, you know, it's center field, so it's not uh, necessarily something he has to do. So if he can go in there and, <clears throat> you know, even the steamer projection, two, 258, 313, 340, that's not great. But for an NL-only squad, if he's the guy who wins the playing time, you might get a 260 batting average with 30 steals. That's the thing. You could get that that speed could be a huge uh, asset for him. And again, I just mentioned that speed's kind of down right now. If you can get a premium guy, even though you might get that zero in homers, it might be worth it. Here's some of his his speed totals from the minor leagues. In 2013, Malik Smith had 64 swipes. Uh, 2014, he had 88. Add four more uh, in fall league that year. And he went to the fall league young. That's usually guys in double A and triple A, kind of their finishing school. He was only there after high A, and he held his own for 72 plate appearances, hitting three showcasing uh, for a trade probably and, and it ended up happening and then yeah. as you mentioned uh in a double a triple a season with the braves he totally held his own with the bat showed a little bit more at the high minors and, and popped 57 stolen bases so the speed is there if he gets that playing time that's that's a really good uh guy to bring up there like you said looking behind the trade at who could benefit yeah michael Bourne's going to be slotted into depth charts right now but if you are drafting early i i think you ignore that completely and take your gamble on malik smith because even if it doesn't work out you're paying so little for him you can probably go out and get born anyway uh or you know some some sort of type so malik smith that's a great call you know i really like that one Let's stick with my Tigers and talk about the their new closer. You know, you mentioned earlier that Dombrowski was kind of known for not having a great bullpen in Detroit. That's obviously been an Achilles heel for them for a while. Hasn't necessarily been for a lack of effort. It's just the guys that they've tried to get haven't really panned out. And and some of them have been have been duds. You know, I'm never I'm never going to sit here and back Jose Valverde and how long they they <laughs> trusted him. But uh, you know, when they when they signed Joe Nathan, it, it wasn't evident that he was going to become god awful he was coming off some pretty great seasons but you get at that age threshold it can go immediately that's kind of the problem and um, you know i guess it could be a problem with k-rod they got francisco rodriguez from the uh brewers for javier betancourt a, a a minor leaguer they they don't have a deep system so even though i think he was like sixth on, on a list that just recently came out we haven't done our lists yet so i think it was baseball america's list and he was sixth uh, or uh, it was BPs, excuse me. But you know, don't go crazy over that. Not all number six prospects are created equally. Uh, I don't think he's much of a piece. What about a 34-year-old K. Rod going to close for the Tigers? How do you feel about that? It's kind of amazing. He um, almost threw more changeups than fastballs last year. It's so dirty, and I knew that in real life. Like anyway. But the way I really knew it is uh, from MLB The Show, which I, I often mention on this show that I like to play a lot. But um, his changeup is so stupid on that. It's awesome. It, it just it, – the bottom falls out completely. And if you, if you can get the meter right and you got good control, you can dominate with that. And, yeah, I end up throwing more changeups than, than fastballs. So I get it. Uh, the long story there to say that I get it with him. A 43% changeup rate, he's only got what? eight miles difference on the two anymore but the the movement on the change up uh at least in the video game <laughs> it, it is amazing 
after two years of kind of looking like maybe it was uh, going the wrong way for, for K-Rod as homers became a big issue, actually three years if you look 2013, uh, excuse me, 2012 to 2014, um, he got the homers back under one per per nine last year at .95, so not much, but strikeouts 29%, walk 5%, a career best rate, uh, swing strike rate 14%. Tied for a career best rate. Actually, no, his rookie season was better, 15%. But, uh, you know, great metrics across the board. Is this another guy that's going to fall uh, on his face as Detroit's closer, or did they, did they finally get a good one? Yeah, well, you know, if he loses another tick on his fastball, he, he started out in, uh, what was it? That's 2007. In 2002, oh, he, it was 94-95. I don't have. Uh, I, I was using Brooks. I don't have uh, oh. all the way back. But uh, starting in 2007, his uh, changeup differential to his, between his fastball was 10 miles an hour. Then it was eight and nine for four or five years. And then in 2013, it was 7.6, 7.8, and then last year 6.9. So Oof, the uh, the difference between the two is is definitely narrowing, um, and. Uh, <clears throat> It's gotta, it's gotta affect him at some point, you know. I, I don't know. It's, it's, Can it's a, a it's a plus plus pitch. Years? It's a plus plus pitch. He's done it for so long, and he's, 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 he's been different. He's changed. He's adapted, and you know, he even throws the curveball. I mean, if you add the curveball to the changeup, he's throwing junk more than than fastballs now. Yeah. Lowest and, fastball percentage uh, ever, forty five percent for him. Yeah, and I. You know, it's the kind of thing that starters do all the time, and he does have a, what you call starters arsenal with the three with the three pitches, uh, four if you you count sinker separately. So, um, you know, I think uh, you know a year or two should be okay. Okay, I mean that's okay. that's all they have him for is two years. Yeah, that and it's and not then, even a guaranteed second. They could buy him out for two mil if he went right. Joe Nathan on him. And the team on on the team level, um, you know, supposedly they're still interest, interested in Joaquin Soria. So. I hope. You know, that's the kind of thing that you do. I mean, yes, I couldn't if agree. You want to be competitive? You, 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 you throw in two, two guys. If you don't have, you know, your familiar Giles, uh, Cody Allen type, that's like young, flame throwing. Yeah, if you don't people, have that stud, then you get a couple guys that could maybe still do it. And um, yeah, K Rod should not be an either or. It, I hope it wasn't an either or situation. K Rod or sorry, I. I, I I think it's setting up to be both of them. I mean, baseball is, you know, Rodriguez has been available to baseball for like three or four years every offseason. That's true. You know, and it's always like, okay, I'll go back to the Brewers. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh, I like Milwaukee. It's all right. I guess I'll go back. Some risk there, and hopefully they do sign something else. But um, otherwise, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. Um, you know, I don't think the Tigers are going to go out and make a big trade for for a Chapman. I don't think they have the pieces, or, or they certainly don't want to give up their their very top pieces of the few that they have. But uh, so, signing somebody like a Soria, I think, is still the right move. Then all of a sudden, you've got two reliables at the back end, and hopefully, they can piece it together with some things like an Al Albuquerque. Alex Wilson was good, but you know, didn't miss enough bats. 
Bruce Rondon was looking like he could be that young flamethrower for them, but then he got sent home because he wasn't trying hard enough. I mean, effort. You get sent home for effort. That's pretty bad. That's worse than a lot of things, uh, I think, because you're just not even trying. You're 24 years old. You can't be bothered enough to try to not walk half the world. So we'll see. I still think, you know, hopefully they can get a scrap heap guy like a Rex Brothers, uh, something like that, and, and, and make that work. I do feel like, and it's probably just me whining about my own team, but I feel like the Tigers never get that scrap heap guy that turns into something great. So hopefully they can find one of those, and then all of a sudden they have a great bullpen, and, and the Tigers win the World Series. That's all I'm asking for. I'm not asking for much, guys. Just a Tigers World Series victory. Anyway, let's move on to uh, <laughs> in your range there. Let's, let's move out west as I rant about my Tigers. Uh, the, the Jesse Chavez for Liam Hendricks deal was interesting. Chavez is a guy who successfully made the, the uh, reliever to starter transition at a, at a pretty old age for, for, for that transition. You don't usually see it at that point, kind of like a C.J. Wilson sort of thing. He made that move at, at 30. Now, he hasn't been that workhorse type because um, he, he's too small. I think that's probably why he was a reliever. It just doesn't seem to have the frame that can hold up for, for 32 starts, 180-plus innings. Uh, he's gone 146 and 157 the last two years, and it really does kind of fall off as the season keeps going. So that that's kind of an issue with him. Um, what do you think of Jesse Chavez going out to Toronto, and then we'll, and then we'll touch on the Liam Hendricks piece going the, the, uh, the, the other way to Oakland? Yeah, I think I'm so glad I, I had a couple shares in in, um, in, in, uh, in some dynasty leagues and larger leagues, and I'm glad I got rid of them because this is just a really bad move for him. And, um, you know, he's a guy who hangs the, the breaking ball every once in a while. Absolutely. And he's just not going to uh, – it's not going to be good for him uh, to do that in Toronto. You know, on the team level, I think it's okay for them to get that sort of depth piece, swingman type. I doubt that they're really penciling him in as a fifth starter. I don't think uh, so either. Unless they have uh, something else. So it's really kind of just turfed his uh, his fantasy value because he's he's not going to be a closer and he's not going to be a really, he's probably not going to be a starter. Uh, more of a kind of maybe a streaming option when he's on the road in Seattle or Oakland, maybe kind of a DFS option. Because he does have three pitches, and they're decent pitches. It's just, um, you know. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Uh, and I mentioned the second-half situation. Doesn't really hold up. Gets off to these fast starts. I agree with you. Not necessarily going to be somebody that Toronto's looking to start. They might, you know, might get some spot starts here and there. Homers have always been an issue for him, though. He has one year uh, where homers didn't really get him. As a starter, 1.0 per nine each of these two years in Oakland. So what's it going to be in Toronto? For his major league career, 538 innings, a 1.2 homer per nine rate. So the homers are there. Not the best park for him. Swingman type, not a ton of fantasy value. What about Liam Hendricks going the other way? I understand that he's probably in that same swingman type. But I get intrigued because it's Oakland. I know I give them probably more benefit uh, of the doubt, you know, you give certain teams certain benefits, and and they're getting a pitcher, they're getting a 27 year old like Hendricks who just had an excellent season as a reliever. He has gotten starting opportunities in the past, and it it just didn't really work. He got 16 starts in 2012, posted a 5.59 ERA with skills that 
suggested that he, he deserved a 559 ERA. Uh, eight more starts in, in 2013, and they were bad, and the skills weren't much better. Home runs were an issue for him. Gets into the bullpen, throws 65 innings of a 292 ERA, really cuts the homer rate. He's got a 1-3 homer per nine for his career for Hendricks, and he only allowed .4 with the Blue Jays. He was striking guys out. He wasn't walking anybody. He looked great in his 65 innings. Is this somebody that Oakland tries to get some starts out of, or do they just keep him as a, as a reliever? I, you know, he had a huge velocity increase than when he went to the pen. Right. And I'm, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding. I shouldn't have even said that. It's not funny. Uh, had, that happens, a, though, when you go to the bullpen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be, uh, it's supposed to be on the level of about one tick. But, oh, uh, he got three. Yeah, so he did better than, than that. Um, but uh, and so I guess there's some risk that he's not going to hold on to all that. But you know, at 94, he looked like a legit reliever. He was, you know, in the postseason, he was a guy that uh, that came out in really big moments when you know they couldn't they couldn't use Osuna. Yeah, uh, and he would get so, some big outs. He had that one bad outing. I think it was against KC that he kind of got he kind of got smoked around. But other than that, he was putting in some big some big work for them uh, down the stretch and in the playoffs. Hendricks was. Yeah, and uh, I, I think that means that he's basically the backup plan. Um, I think he's the backup plan for uh, for Rich Hill, uh, Sean Doolittle. Oh, for Sean. Oh, in in the bullpen, you mean not 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 to go into a starter. Okay, that's a good. That's really interesting call because as they after they moved Clipper, they didn't have anybody worth a lick and uh, outside of Doolittle that you even wanted to take a chance on. From a closer standpoint, I know Drew Pomeranz got a couple saves, but there was nobody that you're looking at like this could be their next guy. Uh, and they finally got Doolittle in there toward the end of the season. He got a couple saves himself. That's really interesting. So you think Hendricks might be somebody who could who could then um, emerge as a closer? That is, is another very interesting thing that you've said today. Two of your smaller pieces have been the very big interesting ones for me: <laughs> Alex Smith and Liam Hendricks. Well, it, you know, it's it's the it's the non-obvious stuff that shop. <laughs> that's interesting. Hey, I have a question for you, and you can tell me tell me if this is bullshit or not. But I'm, I went to Brooks to look at Hendricks because you mentioned the big uptick. Do you put any stock in the fact that he was able to peak at 94-95? His max velocity as a starter was in that 94-95 range. Does that make him him uh, oh, averaging that as a reliever more viable? Oh, that is great. That is great. I have no idea uh, how to answer that, but that is such a good offseason piece. And I think I can answer it just because I think, you know, I've got peaks. i got peaks. Um in the database and I can look at past movers yes. and, and see uh, if the outliers that, that, um, that, because there are outliers. I mean, there, there are guys, you know, like uh, Jeremy Greenhouse did a great piece on this. He's one of my favorite writers. He got, of course he got hired by the Cubs. Um, <laughs> but uh, Jeremy Greenhouse used to write on this, this site called baseball analysts. Um, and he wrote that it was about 0.7 on average. But if you look at it, Phil Hughes was like, uh, plus three in the pen, and Jabba Chamberlain was like plus three in the pen. So, um, you know, there was a big difference between Jabba Chamberlain the starter and Jabba Chamberlain the reliever, and uh, and the same same seems to be happening for Hendricks. So I, I wonder if that that is something to it because, you know, it makes sense. It's like maybe you your body has a max 
And, yeah, and you, know, you, you could reach it in spurts, but he knew as a starter he couldn't just keep doing that. So I'm yeah. a little, if that holds up, I'll be interested to read that. If that holds up, I'm going to yeah. feel even better about him as that as that dark horse type. Because even though I love Doolittle uh, when he's healthy, I still think there are grave concerns about his health right now. He only had 14 innings. Really took him a while to get going uh, last year. Doolittle when it looked like it was it, it, the early reports were pretty optimistic, saying it's you know a short thing. We could talk about early May, mid-May, and, and again, 14 innings. So, and, and, and at times in the minors, I know there was one time he was pitching while we were podcasting and you did a live report that on a tweet that you'd seen that he was throwing 89-90. So it was a really interesting season from a downside for, for Doolittle. And again, they didn't have any backups, so Hendricks could emerge. Keep him on your list there. I thought yeah, Chavez was you know, the headliner of that deal. I, I think now Hendricks is. Yeah. Uh, given... Um I just do. I did talk to Doolittle late in the season, and he said uh, he told me a lot of things about how his rehab had been wrong, and um, that you know there were certain things he was doing wrong as rehab. He changed those, and then we saw better velocity at the end of the season. And he also said that he just didn't really feel like he he got going. He thought he was in spring in September. Yeah. So um, sometimes those seasons, I mean, they're, they're just they are throwaways. I know it sounds like an excuse, especially if you like the guy. And I do I mean, like Doolittle. What a labor problem? I mean, it's a labor problem. It's a big deal. So yeah, I mean, anytime the shoulders involved, you, you you might want to say they're over, or you know, at least give them a season, you know, um, to to kind of render your final decision. Because let's see what he's throwing in spring. Is basically what I'm saying. Hendricks is, a, is an interesting pitcher. Uh, I think he's probably number two in that pen now, and uh, and number two in the pen is is interesting to all of us. And even as as much as I like Doolittle and think that he got the velocity going at the end of the season, I have to admit that he's one of the shakier ones. And so Hendricks then becomes one of the most interesting um, relievers, kind of like maybe a Carson Smith yes. in Seattle, where you know Carson Smith's velocity was up. Up and down. Well, uh, but Will Helmson is gone, and who's behind Carson Smith is well, interesting. So, what well, that—that's a perfect segue. I don't know if you planned it or not, but it was great. Let's talk about the <laughs> the move that they made. Seattle has made. Uh, Joaquin Benoit was somebody they acquired. So San Diego really kind of cleared out that their late inning. Uh, players there with with Kimbrel and Benoit going it was a minor league deal I honestly don't remember the names and I didn't write them down but they were not big enough returns that we have to worry about them for San Diego right now let's talk about Benoit I think he's penciled in right now on roster resource as the closer ahead of Smith so that does make Smith kind of that cheap intriguing option I think that's going to be how it goes into the season because Benoit you know Fair or not, first off, let's not suggest that Benoit is bad. He had a great season, uh, older and making money. So they're gonna, they're, I think they're gonna want him out there closing uh, for what they're paying him, and that just might be why he's there ahead of Smith. But what do you think of Joaquin Benoit as a potential closer in Seattle? Yeah, I have no problems with it. I mean, he's got a, a really nice pitch that that Fosh, that uh, split finger that he throws, and. Um, you know he's he's done it before, and uh, he'll have a nice park to mitigate some of the home run stuff. And yeah, I got no problems with him. And you know, as much as it could be about money, uh, there were some weird, weird bounces in Carson Smith's velocity last year, and he ended the season um, at you know almost 90 miles an hour. 
you know, but like maybe 91 uh, on the sinker. And he started the season at, you know, 93, 94. Yeah, I didn't so, realize that. Uh, there's reason to be worried about Carson Smith. and um, Kind of weird mechanics, too. Yes, yes. You know, so. you know, think about those weird mechanics and then put that in the place of a, a large velocity drop um, and uh, some changes in, in release point. And uh, you you got to be officially worried about Carson Smith. So I think uh, Benoit, um, it's an interesting situation there where Carson Smith is not, if, if Carson Smith comes out throwing 95 again next spring, then I think him and Liam Hendricks are uh, on similar uh, levels. In terms you got to take a look at them. As your 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 back, like if you don't invest heavily, especially in an AL only, if you don't invest heavily in in closers, maybe you get one of those frontliners we were talking about, and then you wait and you get like a Hendricks or or a Smith to round out your bullpen. What about somebody like a Tony Zitch who was throwing ninety six, ninety seven oh, for them? Yeah, I, nobody knows who this guy is, but I remember him from AFL. That's how I remember him because I was like, Zitch. That, you know, anytime a guy with a Z last name, you're going to notice it because they're just not that common. Yeah. So that's honestly uh, how I remember him. And he, and he was throwing BBs down there. Yeah. This was a few years back, like uh, 2012, 2013. It was a while ago. Yeah. Somebody somebody pointed out to me that, uh, that if they ran a bullpen, they would just try and go get a bunch of guys with like crazy whiff rates on a, on a slider and a decent fastball. And so they were like, Zitch. And I was like, who's that? And then I looked in there and I was like, wow. So they I got mean, Benoit, Smith, Zitch, and Furbush from the left side. That's the makings of a quality pen. The pen fell apart after a really good excuse me, 2014 for them. Maybe that's the key to getting Seattle back on track because there were big expectations for them last year that they just did not pan out on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Zitch is. I, I I think he's probably if he's uh, if if Carson Smith is not throwing ninety five, then Zitch will move ahead of him actually because Zitch actually still throws ninety five. So yeah, I think uh, that's another name to put on your list. So keep an eye on that situation. Benoit, we do think is the clear front runner right now and deserves to be, but Smith and Zitch are staying on our on our radar, especially in the AL only where you're getting that dollar or two dollar pitcher at the very end. All right, last deal to talk about before we talk about the signings. Uh, Jonathan VR gets traded to Milwaukee. I thought that was slightly interesting. I did. Met, I just did recently write a piece for Shortstop Week last week about how it's getting younger and we're adding some depth. But that doesn't mean that it's necessarily a deep position. Uh, so anytime you know you, that you see a guy who has some fantasy intrigue, and it's usually speed for VR. Uh, going to a spot where maybe he could get some playing time like Milwaukee because Gene Segura shouldn't be blocking anybody. I don't care how young he is, um, and, and I don't even think he's that young anymore. He's just not he's just not hitting at a level that, that says that, oh, you're blocked. So what do you think of Jonathan VR as a brewer? Is there anything there for him? It's interesting. He swung more and struck out less and, and, and whiffed less this year, mostly by swinging more at pitches in the strike zone. So – I think there was some sort of um, change in his philosophy where it's a little bit more about looking uh, in the zone and looking to be aggressive in the zone. Um, you know, <clears throat> at, if if you can believe in the slight improvement in his um, swing strike rate and his strikeout rate, then then he might do better than his projections. It's really hard for me to say that he will because – he still doesn't have a great whiff rate, and he's just been like legendarily bad at making contact in the past. Yeah, 
But um, last year represented a real step forward, if you can call it that, because he he struck out a league average rate. And if he could do that again, he could actually, you know, hit 250, 260 and stay on the field long enough to steal you 30 bases and maybe even hit you eight or nine homers. That's the thing. A little bit of sneaky pop there, too. So, I mean, it's just so nerve-wracking because, you know, what if he can't do that? You know, I mean, he, he was better versus lefties um, last year, and uh, with, especially with the power, but also the 24% strikeout rate versus righties. So his floor is probably, and let's see if that held up for his, for his career, but, you know, his floor is probably still, um, yeah, he strikes out way more against righties, 29% career versus righties, okay. and, has, and has more power against lefties. So his floor is... Um, Maybe a platoon partner for Segura. Well, he's still only 25, too. That's the thing. I thought he was a little bit older, to be honest. Yeah, still, around a while. Yeah, still only 25. Um, I will also say that roster resource doesn't necessarily think Segura is the roadblock. They've got him slotted in at third base, third, which is yeah. wide open for that club right now. And, and he has played a little a, bit there. It's not a natural platoon because uh, Segura's righty. Yeah. So, most uh, uh, most, most uh, shortstops are, so... Only um, 21 games at third base between minors and majors, and I think 13. I think the 13 in the majors came this past season. So he's pretty new to third base, but hey, if he can get some playing time, he'll be eligible. Another small name that you want to take a look at. He'll be eligible. Definitely NL only type. I doubt I'm going to be buying him in mixed leagues. Um, not, not unless he comes in the spring with a full job, or and you know, and we see some sort of change. Currently, I'm with you 100. percent Mixed yeah. league, maybe as a reserve in in a deep league only. You know, a, a month of uh, spring training is is still a month of baseball, and it's not necessarily as good because you'll be playing some worse players. But if he had a 20 percent strikeout rate for the month of, of September, of month of March. Um, then I might, then I might reconsider. If he had a full job and a twenty percent strikeout rate for March, uh, or better, then, we, then I, then I might be interested. Then we'd be more interested, in Jonathan Vr. We'll keep an eye on him. That's an intriguing piece. At least they didn't give him away for free like Delano De Shields, but maybe it ha- it could have a similar effect. And Houston just has so many good guys; they got to start dispensing them out to other teams. We'll we'll see how that one goes. <laughs> I definitely don't have as much confidence in in him as I did De Shields when he was Rule Fived. Uh, all right, let's talk about a couple of the signings that have gone on. A lot of them are with their own team because we've got to talk about the qualifying offers that were accepted for the first time ever. There were three guys. But let's start with the guy we we alluded to earlier when I wrongly guessed who you were saying Hendricks was a backup to. I said Rich Hill. Uh, but you have Hendricks in the bullpen, as we discussed. Rich Hill is going to be a starter for them, for the uh, Oakland, for them. I didn't even say the team. For Oakland on a one-year $6 million deal, and I know you wrote about him uh, after that happened, he basically parlayed four excellent starts with Boston into this deal. That's really impressive for Hill. And at the same time, it's not like I'm going to clown Oakland. It's six mil. You take a shot here because if he has a, a, even a modicum of health, it's really been health. It hasn't really been skill uh, That's that's been the problem with, with Hill. But he can't stay on the field. What do you think here? He's 36 years old. This is a very interesting kind of weird signing. Is there anything here? Is this going to be something that we're forgetting about by the time mid-May rolls around? No, I think he's in a perfect place to succeed. It's, um, you know, innings are going to be a problem, so you can't necessarily uh, count on a lot of innings from him. But, um, you know, Jesse Chavez level, 
I mean, that's supposedly who he's who he's uh, filling in for. Yeah. The team, you know, the team has a lot of starters and has a bit of a logjam, so there is the risk that he ends up in the bullpen. Um, but, you know, for the last two years, uh, I'd count three years. So even even when he was in in Cleveland. Um, you can put all that together and get 60 or 70 innings and you'll have an 11% swing strike rate. So, you know, this isn't just the 29 innings with the Red Sox. It's, you know, a lot of uh, cleaning up that he did in a different, in different, you know, along the way. Obviously, command is an issue, but, um, you know, the, he did enough for me to consider him a little bit better than a dollar pitcher um, and uh, kind of think of him as being able to pitch maybe 120 innings next year uh, to like a three-five to three-seven type ERA. Sweet, I like it. No, I'm. I, I You're love not going to the... spend too much for a player like that. I mean, no, no, no. That's, that's You're not going to have to. That's like two, three-dollar pitcher and AL only. Exactly. Top. I think yeah. even those who are most psyched on him realize what we're dealing with. And, and it's going to be in that, you know, you might get into a league where somebody likes them just as much as you and they push it up to four. But it's, I don't think it's going to be something where, you know, oh, my God, I accidentally paid $9 for Rich Hill. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully not. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not going to be like that. Fine, so. Exactly. That's the thing, too. It's not even like he's a guy who came out of nowhere uh, or, who, or who emerged and is still young. It's a guy who's been around for quite some time, and we're hoping for another last kick here. So I agree with you. I'll, I'll pay a couple bucks, more than a dollar, but no more than five. Not, not, not even five, really. I think four. Uh, let's talk about Marco Estrada then, signing with, re-upping with Toronto, two years, 26 mil. Obviously, I don't think we really need to suggest that he's not going to be exactly what he was this year. 216 BABIP, uh, 80% left on base rate. Those are at the very high end of, of his capabilities. But I also don't necessarily think that Estrada is going to turn into some awful pitcher. First off, he never really has been an awful pitcher. Even the, the poor year in 2014, which was really home run destroyed, that was a 436 ERA. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that's good, but it's about, you know, uh, league average. You know, it's about uh, even war. In fact, he had minus 0.1, so he was just, just right there. And then the two years before that were solid. Uh, upper threes whip, but great, or excuse me, upper threes ERA, but a great whip, 114 and 108. Strikeouts have been there. He's actually cut down the strikeouts, and it's helped him somehow become a better pitcher there. Uh, I know you've written about him in the past, or at least I believe you have. What do you think mm-hmm. about Marco Estrada and how he's had success in these two home run havens now, including his best success this year? What, what can we expect in 2016? You know, opinion is really divided on this guy. I think Keith Law said he wasn't worth the qualifying offer, and there are a lot of fans in Toronto. For some reason, I find myself uh, close to certain uh, fan bases, and Toronto is one of them. That's and uh, and so I've, I've I've watched the 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 reaction to this uh, signing, and a lot of people think he's he's you know going to fall off a cliff. And you know, if you just look at that strikeout rate, six point five per nine, and then you look at the the home run rate, he's, he gave up one point two homers per nine, and then you look at that two sixteen BABIP. I think it's easy to see how this could all fall apart. You know, the BABIP goes up, uh, the homers stay the same or go up. I mean, he's been worse for homers than last year over his career. So let's say the homers go up, the BABIP goes up, all of a sudden you've got a, a four-year array again. I think for Toronto, though, 
uh, a four ERA is not the same as a four ERA for somebody else. Uh, that's the kind of ERA they can overcome. I mean, they've 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 you know gotten some wins for Dickey. <laughs> Um, so I think that they'd be okay with that, especially at 13 million for two, you know, 13 million a season for two years. And then I keep coming back to the fact that I think that 9.9% swinging strike rate is better than a 6.5 strikeout rate. So I I can, I can understand that. I mean, he's for his career. I I like to look at his career line here. So his career line, he had a 10.4% swing strike rate and he had eight strikeouts per nine. I think you can expect something like that next year. I think you can expect him to at least get it back up to seven and a half. Um, and, and so that's gonna, there's going to be more strikeouts there. There may be more home runs there, but there's going to be more strikeouts there. And his career line of 3.95 ERA, 1.15 whip, 1.36 homers per nine, all of that seems super attainable to me. And it's all based on the fact that that changeup has the best in-zone whiff rate of any pitch in baseball. So... Wow. He can throw that changeup in the strike zone, and if you swing at it, you're going to miss it a third of the time. And if you and if you don't swing at it, it's a strike. So that means, you know, basically three quarters of the time, it's a good outcome for that pitch. So, you know, you have to do a lot of damage on the times you do guess right and you hit that changeup, and it's still a changeup. So how much you know, are you really? Unless he's really hanging it, are you really going to do a lot of damage? And um, or you have to really damage the crap out of his fastball, which is doable. It's 89 or whatever, but um, he's doing a really good job hiding that fastball and 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 sort of toying with the pitchers, with the hitters. And you saw it even with the with the Royals. You you can get really in between a guy like this, where you know 89 and 80 doesn't seem like a big difference, but if you can't decide whether to ramp to to, to look fastball for 89 and and try to avoid the 80. Or if you're looking 80, then you can't catch up to 89. So, you know, he gets people kind of in that sort of 83 to 84 range, kind of searching searching to time him right. And um, maybe maybe another look at him. The AL will do a little bit better. But uh, I'll take the under on his steamer projections. And uh, I'll say he'll be a useful AL-only pitcher, useful back-end mixed league pitcher next year. Okay. I like it. I like it. So, yeah, I, I got to agree disagree with law on, on the qualifying offer. I mean, I, I had no problem with them putting that out there for him, for Estrada. You know, even, if, even if a guy is not worth $15 million in that year, yeah, the fact that you didn't have to give him more years is actually That's worth the thing. It. It's, it's the one-year piece of it, too. I'm like, that. that's not going to be the end of the world, even if he fell back. Yeah. Even if he fell all the way back to 2014, yeah, it would be an overpay, but it's not a season-destroying overpay if they only got 151 innings of a 4.36 ERA and 120 WHIP from him. That wouldn't be the thing that you point to and say, "Well, that's why the Jays didn't do whatever." So <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I thought that was perfectly fine to give him the qualifying offer. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about the guys who took the qualifying offer, and uh, I'll see if you think any of those were, were were bad offers by the team or bad takes by the guy. Let's start with Colby Rasmus. I believe he was the first to accept it. Uh, he took the 15.8 mil from Houston to go ahead and stick there. Coming off a big season, obviously big postseason as well. A lot of, showed a lot of pop during that season, uh, or during during the postseason. Um, looking at it here, 25 homers was in fact a career high with Houston. He had a couple of 23s and a 22 before that. He's 29. He's going to be 29 years old this year. He could still get a nice, solid, you know, four or five year deal next year if he follows this year up. Uh, with with a solid campaign, 
What do you think of Colby Rasmus uh, in terms of 2016 as it relates to a qualifying offer? Do you think it was all right? I don't know. I think um, I think for him, he maybe should have gone looking just because, you know, he is really like he's a yo-yo. I mean, so let's start in 2010 and just do wins above replacement. Four point five point nine five point one point nine two point eight. So like I can understand why teams would look at that and be like, dude, just do it two years in a row, and you know maybe we'll give you some money. Um, so I guess that's what he's thinking is he'll get a longer term deal if he can do it two years in a row. And, but these players have supreme confidence in their abilities and, you know, you're not going to tell him that, you know, you've spent just as many seasons being replacement level as you have been, you know, useful. (laughs) Maybe you should, uh, maybe you should take this money or whatever, but, uh, or maybe, maybe you should take whatever multi-year deal you can get right now. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, he's on the right team to, to you know, to, 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 to profit off of a lot of strikeouts and a lot of homers. And um, maybe he thinks he'll get more play, play time next year after a good year. And um, he'll be able to, to finally put two years in a row together and get, get the deal he wants. Now, do you uh, know, I don't know if you know this the answer to this but uh, is the is is it binding once they accept the qualifying offer or could they re- renegotiate a long-term deal or would any long-term deal start after 2016 you know I, I think it is i think it might be binding because marco estrada was talking to toronto about the two-year 26 million dollar deal um he didn't he didn't i don't he think he officially the qual- he didn't officially he did not accept the qualifying okay. offer they just did an extension so but that would make sense i mean you, you i think the qualifying it. offer is an offer and if you accept it you accept it um you know do, were the astros right to do, you know steamer says the astros are wrong to to put this on the table because steamer projections for for one win you know it's because he's got that you, you said the yo-yo effect and he does have that you know just like just looking at the war, like you said, it just kind of goes all over the place. And he does have three seasons of under one win, uh, 0.9, 0.9, and a 0.5 back in 2011. Real disastrous season after his best season, actually, the 2010 season. So that was weird. So that that's kind of the thing with Rasmus. If he can do it after his best season, he can certainly do it after his, his second or third best season, which was this year. <laughs> but again, I... I'm, I kind of go back to what we said about the first thing with Estrada and the qualifying offer. I just don't think it's going to be that bad, even if it doesn't work out. It's it's not going to be a season killer. You'd be bummed out if he only popped, you know, 19 homers uh, or whatever. But part of those, in fact, I'm looking at it right now. Only one of those bad seasons, those under one win seasons, was actually a full season. 625 plate appearances his first uh, year with the Blue Jays. When he when he one. cratered in 2011, it was still over 500 plate appearances, but it was 129 games. Um, and then when he cratered in 2015 again, it was only 104 games and 376 plate appearances. So I don't know. I feel like if, you, if you've got a reasonable so, health, it's fine. It's a fine offer. Right. And it's like the worst case scenario is we paid $15 million for one win. Yep. And the best case scenario is we pay $15, $15 million for three wins. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and maybe more. He does have a five. There's win and no worst case scenario where, oh, God, we have him for another $45 million. There's no, there's no BJ Upton. And that's the best part. Exactly. <laughs> Run it back next year and figure it out. If, you, if, if he puts up another year like this, then you can say, okay, maybe we want to give him a three-year deal. But, but then you say also, hey, you're a year older, buddy. 
it's going to be a lot less than 15.8. Exactly. No, I, I thought it was fine. I, again, when you're talking about a one-year deal, they just – for me, they just don't have to completely meet that in a war standpoint, the, the dollars that they're getting. That there is something to you know the kind of the cursory effects of it too. I know he's. I've heard he's really happy in Houston. A lot, a lot of things set up well for him. He's oh, a he's happy 100. player there, and he's had attitude issues in the past. So for me, I like that. I know he's already super, super keen on being here. I'll, I'll pay. Maybe I'll pay a little bit extra for that in a one-year situation. Yeah, he's a. 100% American uh, hunter, hunting type, so I don't exactly. think Toronto was exactly where he wanted to be. Was Probably wasn't loving what Toronto had to offer. Probably very much enjoys uh, a state that's going to offer him plenty of hunting like Texas. So, yeah, I think the comfort, <laughs> the fact that you know this player's comfortable, yeah, you're paying a little bit more for that, but you're probably going to get the best out of him as long as his body cooperates. So I thought it was all right. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does this year and, and what kind of multi-year deal he can get next year should he go for that. Now I have one other question that you might not know the answer to. Can you offer another qualifying offer or is that a one-time deal? Oh. Could they QO him again next year? Or once – I would imagine that once there's a contingent, once one is accepted or offered – that might be it. I, I don't know. I don't know that answer. Because I feel like every time someone's the, – the thing of it is we don't know because nobody's accepted it. Um, and every time they've been offered it, they've uh, they've said no and gone out and got a multi-year deal. So that's probably uh, something that we'll have to learn. But let's talk about the next guy who accepted one and, and debate the merits of whether or not he should have gotten one. That's Matt Wieters in Baltimore. Um, the thing was it was actually kind of tough to find a great fit for him. Uh, when when we were kind of speculating that he might go on the market. I know Jason and I were talking about it. Obviously, Atlanta was an obvious thing that people were talking about because of where he's from. Uh, and, he, and he went to school in Atlanta at Georgia, State, uh, Georgia Tech. excuse me. And so couldn't really find too many places for him. Well, maybe he'll re-up with Baltimore. Actually, no, he'll take the qualifying offer. So he took the qualifying offer. This one makes a lot more sense. After four years of uh, you know, at least an average bat. I think if you smush them all together, it's an average bat for those four years. And then premium defense behind the dish. If if he'd gotten the qualifying offer at that point, no way he takes it. E- even yeah. discounting, e- even if he was at the same age, because uh, obviously he would have been 28 at that point. No way, he's 30 now. But even if he had the same age, coming off of those seasons, he says no. But he's coming off of just 101 games played the last two years. And yeah, while the offense is, is above average, if you smush them together, it's only 394 plate appearances. I think he wants to make good and try to get that one multi-year deal, five, six-year deal, if he can. I mean, I don't know uh, how realistic that is as a catcher. But uh, I understood why he took it. What did you think of Matt Wieters taking the qualifying offer from Baltimore? Yeah, I think it's all about whether or not he's a he's a short he's a catcher, you know. Yes. And uh, you know the the Tommy John, you know, throwing is only one part of the catching. But you know, if 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 it, if you can't really uh, catch, then you know, I if you can't really throw, then I don't know if you can really catch, you know. And so, um, you know, what did he do last year? He fifty five games at catcher. And his defensive numbers um, suffered, and that means he played about 20 games at DH. Um, so I think you know he, he wants to prove that those 20 games at DH uh, did not signal the fact that he's a DH now. 
and uh, he wants to get in there and and uh, and catch and you know catch eighty games, ninety games, and show show everyone that he's a catcher, you know. And so for him, it's a great deal for this one's a great deal for both sides. It's a it's a pillow contract, um, you know. It's the kind of thing that we that it would be great to be able like your favorite favorite teams that be able to offer Ian Desmond. You know, it's like yes, you know, give the guy a one year twenty million dollar contract. Uh, see if he's got anything left uh, for for the Orioles. You know, Buck Showalter was on TV and was talking about it. And he said, "Yeah, we're happy about it." And I think they're happy about it because Steamer says he's going to be worth two and a half wins next year. Yeah, I like it. I, in, I mean, in ninety games with three hundred and eighty plate appearances. So if he d- ends up being healthy, he's going to blow that out of the water, and you're going to get a three four win player for uh, the cost of a two win player. They're probably going to lose Chris Davis to free agency. Do you think some of this also bakes in some first base time because they have Caleb Joseph who can go back there and, and be a capable catcher? Do you think well, that I mean, that's still in on? They're still in on Chris Davis. Okay, this, they, they could still bring him back. I, I misunderstood Angelos, then. I thought he was pretty much. Oh no, gone. I mean Angelos is supposedly like courting Chris Davis and. Okay. Um, I mean, I think they're still in on, but no, I think, I think from the oil standpoint, they're, they're fine with it. They're fine with it. It's one year. They're not locked into it. You know, with DH and first base, there's plenty of playing time to be, to be had there. And Weeders is a good enough bat where, you know, they're okay with using him more as a bat than a glove. If it, if it turns out he can't be a great catcher, you know, um, then he'll then they'll then they'll basically DH and first baseman him and 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 use the last few games of his catching career and then Weeters uh, will just know that he either has to convince some other team that he's a catcher um, or just take a, a, an actual pillow contract or or uh, you know or uh, or, or just start transitioning to first DH. base DH yeah exactly so and which means less money but uh, I mean for him. To take a $16 million lotto, lotto ticket is pretty pretty good. I mean, it's still $16 in hand. So Yeah, you still 16 got 16 mil in hand. I agree with you. Good move for both clubs. Uh, we'll see how it pans out. I've always liked Matt Wieters. I really wish he would have kind of panned out on the obscene hype. Uh, it's not like he's been bad, as I mentioned. In fact, you add his whole career of his 3,004 plate appearances of flat average. He's a 100 um, on OPS plus and uh, actually his WRC plus is a couple ticks lower at, at 98. But either way, right there about average. Add in the defense. He's been a plus player, but he was expected to be like plus, 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 plus player <laughs> with Matt Weider's facts and all that sort of craziness. The hype was pretty obscene for him, and he hasn't quite done that. Donald Brown was too. And, oh, uh, God. Apparently, I felt for nobody that wants him. He's nobody. Like, He's available and nobody wants him. For anything at this point. For I mean, any that's <laughs> he probably hates baseball. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying because of his performance, I'm saying because of just how badly it's gone and so much heat I mean he just gets crapped on left and right. Not saying he hasn't earned it. I mean, he has not played well. But at some point he's probably like, Oh my god, this baseball thing is so awful. I can't even deal with it. I'm done. Dude yeah, is that, not gonna be a coach. <laughs> no. I don't think that he's taking a second career in baseball. I agree with you there. Uh, He's going to play out what he can and then probably just say, you know what, I'm done with that stupid game. Um, Last one, probably the least surprising of the bunch in terms of the acceptance. Brett Anderson accepted it. Um, I was a little bit surprised when when, when it was offered to him, but I made the same cases that we keep making for each one of these. It's a one-year deal. They're taking a shot. It ain't the end of the world. Even if they get a little bit less than they got this year, that would be fine, et cetera, et cetera. So 
at least you're not doing multi-years with Brett Anderson. He's the least of the three that I would want to be committing multiple years to because his 180 innings this past season uh, are more than he had the last three years combined by a lot. <laughs> He had also, 123 years, or 123 also a career high. <laughs> yeah, also a career high for somebody with a seven-year career. He started with a 175 <laughs> back in 2009 and then just kept going down, 112, 83, 35, 45, 43, and then 180 this year. So we, we know that history with him. Let's focus on him from a skill standpoint. Let me. Uh, what if I just tell you you're going to get 150 innings, okay? He's not going to quite make it. Just gonna be that, that's probably still an aggressive projection. Yeah, Steamer only has him at 139, but I'll I'll give it on the on the higher end. I'll say you're gonna get 150. What do you think you're gonna get skills wise? Uh, 60% ground ball rate will be uh, top top uh, five in the game. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, one uh, maybe two two strikeouts every three innings. Maybe no. Yeah, maybe. Maybe two through strikeouts every three innings. Uh, one uh, less than one walk every three innings. Uh, I think his home run rate could go down. Actually, he's he's. I think he's shown the ability to suppress homers a little oh, bit. I mean, just definitely just by volume of ground balls. I mean, his once it gets lifted into the air, it's a it can be a home run. But uh, I mean, for his career, fifty eight percent ground ball rate, one of the better ground ball rates in baseball, and actually, ground ball rate uh, tends to age well. I, I see. I just saw this recently, so okay. Um, that's one of those things you can you can hold on to because I think it probably means you have command to the low part of the zone, and, which is uh, great for this for this age too. Because I, it's kind of weird that his strikeouts aren't a little bit higher because that's one of the parts of the zone that uh, you know hardball times they should kind of show. Uh, what is his name? John Rogel? Is that how you say his last? Okay. You know who I'm thinking of? Yeah. Who's done the strike zone stuff? He's shown that the bottom of the zone is really where it's expanded. So if you can control down there, that's pretty good. I'm surprised that he had such a low strikeout rate at 16%. But if you're getting two pitch ground ball outs, you don't really need strikeouts, I guess. He only has two pitches, so it's kind of hard to really. Uh, uh, maybe it's three if you count the curveball. The changeup shows up as, as 10% this year, but. I wouldn't be surprised if a good amount of those were misclassified something or else. Yeah, misclassified. Probably they could even be misclassified fastballs, like 85-mile-an-hour fastballs. Yeah, exactly. So um, he, he, he admitted to me that he doesn't really have a changeup. He thinks it's, it's something about the way his hands are, and he, he has really short fingers. And uh, I was interviewing him. He was actually with the Rockies, and he was hurt, um, not surprisingly. And I said something about it, and he said, Oh man, I know, I know. <laughs> and he, uh, he said something about uh, he just took a swing with the bat and broke his thumb. God, how frustrating does that? Have? You know, because he, like you said, he knows, he's aware. He's like, <clears> I no took a swing with the bat. <laughs> I, I can't even, I can't even take a cut for crying out yeah. loud. I mean, yeah. that, yeah, that's tough. I, I, he seems pretty time, aware of 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 the of the time. health piece. I think he tore his Achilles one time just like trying to ground, feel the grounder. Yes, that's the thing too. He's had some fluke injuries. He does have some arm stuff, but the 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 propensity of the, the the fact that he has so many, it's because a lot of freak injuries have been included, and then a mismanagement injury when uh, he what he had that busted up knee or ankle, and he he was scratched from a start, but it ended up going like 15 innings, and so they brought him in for five innings. 
mm-hmm. on a messed up leg. Uh, Oakland did that, so that certainly didn't help things uh, in yeah. terms of his health. And then you know he went out to Colorado, as you mentioned. So the Dodgers kept him upright, though. 31 starts, that's fantastic. You know, obviously they would be more than happy with a repeat. What do you think the realistic upside is, though? Does he still have some of that some of that premium upside that we tagged him with? We being a baseball the baseball community back in the day when he was, you know, uh, Baseball America had him high as seventh on their prospect list in 2009. BP had him at 24th, so you know, top 25 uh, on a couple lists there. That's a pretty high range, and obviously he hasn't panned out, but it's been because of injury. Do you think he could have a, you know, 190 inning, three ERA kind of season, or is that just too far out of the realm with his health? I don't know. The changeup moves exactly the same as a sinker. It's just seven miles an hour slower, and that's not even a good gap. So it's just yeah, it's just a slow sinker. <laughs> and like if anybody's been you know, queued up for a sinker, I doubt they're going to miss that changeup a lot. And uh, lo and behold, 5% whiffs on the changeup. So um, it's basically he's got sinker A, sinker B. <laughs> um, the four seam that he throws gets 4% whiffs, so that's that's no good. That's, um, that's really bad. And uh, Brooks tries to, cl- uh, to break out his curveball. Slider and, and curve. Yeah, even though they're kind of just one big amalgamation. He gets 4% whiffs on the curveball. So oh my God. pretty much just everything is geared towards the ground. Every one of them has, has plus, you know, plus plus ground ball rates. I yeah. mean, but don't look know. for a spike in strikeouts is what you're saying. Unless he no, changes his, his he'd have to alter completely what he's doing out there. And there's no, there's no movement number. That's like, Oh yeah, that looks like it could be better with, if he threw it more, but yeah, the nice thing is his sinker gets, let's see here. Uh, 76% ground balls. Oh my gosh. That's, uh, almost a one pitch pitcher. The slider's good too. So between those two, he's just, uh, and then, you know, being able to show the curveball, he's able to, um, you know, mix it up enough to, to be a starter. But yeah, back end starter, good back end starter. Um, you know, worth, worth the money on a short deal. Never, I don't think, gonna get a long deal. So if they can keep giving him qualifying offers, he's the kind of guy they'll keep you just doing keep it. doing it. Yeah, one year, one year. Sorry, buddy. Sorry. We can't, we just can't, we can't long term yet on any level. Okay, yeah. I'm, like I said, I was a little bit surprised that they offered it. I definitely wasn't surprised when he took it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. You take that 16 mil. I thought the only reason that he might not take it is to just try to get that long term deal, even if it was a lot less money, even if it was like uh, three and thirty, just just to get three years. But now I said, you know what? Let me get 16 mil, and and we'll and we'll take it from there. All right, I got a couple odds and ends here. You actually already touched on one. Uh, Alan Webster, uh, Jason and I discussed him when he was DFA, but we had to get your take on him. So you think there could be something there as a reliever, right? And it, do you think it could be premium if, if it panned out? Because I still feel like if he got with the right people and the right fixes, he can almost be a, a, a late-inning guy for, for, uh, for Alan Webster. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the various pitches, if you look at them without the name on it, are, are so interesting. Um, he, he gets good movement. He just, you know, I, there are too many teams that will say, well, his demeanor on the mound suggests that he has no confidence, and so how is he ever going to close for my team? Uh, because, you know, closing takes confidence and blah, blah, blah. Sure. But uh, there are going to be enough teams that say, you know, I don't care. There's enough movement there uh, that I like. 
the the separation uh, between his change and four seam uh, are good. He's always had plus plus whiff rates on the change, and uh, the sliders uh, always also had not plus plus but plus whiff rates. And you know, whiffing is not the problem. The problem is getting anywhere near the zone. The, the, the problem is when they make any contact with it too. It's like if they don't swing and miss, he's either throwing it nine miles out so they're not swinging at it. Or they're blasting it, but yeah. you know who wouldn't who wouldn't be uh, showing signs of uh, a lack of confidence if you're getting pasted <laughs> for a six thirteen ERA in 120 innings? I mean, I kind of get it. It's it's not working. I don't think I think that the results uh, are bringing on the the attitude. I don't think the attitude is bringing on the results. Um, I think the bullpen is where he needs to be to try to get it figured out. We'll see what's what. The, Probably the commenters be- are on to me at this point. The one commenter on my bullpen piece said, "I don't know why you like him." Uh, he seems like a minor league invited best. He's uh, been worth less than a he's one win under replacement. But just look at the swing strike rate for his career: eleven point three percent. Exactly. That's interesting. That's that, funny that, that you mentioned that. Um, I wrote I wrote up some profiles for the Baseball HQ forecaster that'll be coming out soon, um, and I got I got Webster's and I should have told them I'm going to let Eno write this, but I went yes. ahead and wrote it myself. And you know the fact is. He he's got a good swing and strike rate, and I wrote that he, he just can never get he can never utilize it because he can't find the plate enough. But yeah. but the the pieces are there. I mean, if he can just get the ball with a little <laughs> bit of command, and as a reliever, I mean, there's just no way he'd be the first guy, to, even as poor as his numbers have been, to have numbers this bad. It's still only 120 innings. He would not be the first guy to all of a sudden transition into very useful as a starter. I mean, or as a as a reliever. Wade Davis was pretty bad as a starter. He wasn't quite this bad. I, I mean, I think he had some some full seasons that he actually lasted. But he was pretty uneventful. I mean, giving up bombs left and right. He had a sub two got, strikeout to walk hasn't ratio. Given up home run in like three years, or has given up like one home run in three years. Yeah, he, exactly. So that's the thing. As bad as it looks, it can turn on a dime in a new role. The the the. That's why you know the relievers as, as great as they are and that's you know the Kimbrel package is still pretty surprising for what he got but it's, that's why they just are never valued as highly as starters and you try to keep a guy starting as long as you can I think even with just 120 innings we clearly know that Alan Webster is not a starter so we'll keep right. an eye on that, that to see if he... and you know people made fun of me I, I'm always talking about Gonzalez Hermen um, who has the best changeup by whiff rates uh, in you know over the last three years or something and Yes, he keeps getting DFA'd. He keeps getting released. I understand that. But teams keep picking him up. That's the thing. Know? He keeps and being desirable for somebody. They're looking at they're looking at that with the same stuff that I'm looking at. They're saying, hey, this guy has a great changeup, a little tweak here or there, maybe even just a little bit of luck, maybe just a little change in, in philosophy, and, we, and we've got something going here. So other teams are going to see that swing strike, right? They're going to see the different pitches that he's got and say, you know what? If we just get rid of that sinker and make him forcing this, that, or, or we get rid of that, or you know, there are when he go, when he becomes a, a reliever, he throws away pitches, and he can throw away the curve, which he's never commanded ever. So away goes the curveball, and whatever balls that he threw, you know, whatever in terms of strikes and balls, whatever balls that he threw with that curve go away too. So that's why relievers, you know, sometimes improve their their control, and then they also get. Uh, an increase in in velocity, which that that can lead to better outcomes in zone, which can lead to more uh, confidence in terms of throwing it into the zone. I mean, if you're throwing 94 into the zone, you feel better than if you're throwing 91. So, 
Um, you know, I think uh, those things could come together. And, and also, you know, this year there was some uh, there were some relief appearances, but you can't necessarily say, oh, well, he, what was his velocity in those four relief appearances? Oh, yeah, it's way different. Because he'd be coming into camp uh, prepping differently. Exactly. Like Jesse Chavez told me that he had a completely different approach to working out when he came into camp to be a starter than when, when he was a swingman. C.J. Wilson started his transition in November, the year before he did it. Like He knew it was going to be such a big change to go as a starter that he had to change his stuff starting in November. And I think yeah. you know, he, he had said before as a reliever he wouldn't even get going on the next season until December. So you know, he started a whole month earlier. So yeah, it would be a totally different mindset. By the way, I don't know if you know anything uh, about him. He's another kind of no-name in that Gonzalez-German uh, type. What about Jorge Rondon, a guy who can hit 96, 97? He's been DFA'd a whole bunch. He was recently picked up by the Pirates. Do you think there's anything there with him? Or do you know <laughs> anything about him? Like I said, same kind of type of player, no-name reliever who's on waivers every five minutes, but he just throws total smoke. and so, uh, He's a uh, fastball slider type. I don't know if you know anything about him, but I was intrigued that he went to Pittsburgh. They've taken guys with a lot less talent and made them into something. At least he, at least he throws 95, 96. Yeah. I mean, you might not need that change, uh, honestly, but the change, uh, it's a straight change, and it doesn't give him much, uh, everything's a little bit straight for him. Nothing has a great side-to-side movement um, other than the sinker, so, uh, which he releases from a totally different uh, sort of slot. So, um, oh, wow. I think there's something going on there with, the, with uh, being able to pick up the sinker, but... Um, you know, in terms of outcomes, the slider's been okay, and the and the the forcing's been okay, but he's only you know thrown them a combined 250 times or something. So, uh, yeah, I think probably everyone's betting on the velocity and hoping that they can they can uh, move things around. They did a great job with Caminero, so um, yeah, and that that's the thing that the, the team that he's great on. Great for president. <laughs> exactly, I'm 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 voting on that Searage ticket for sure. Love that guy. So giving him somebody with some some velocity and the ability to get some swings. We'll we'll see what he can do with that. But yeah, I agree with you on Webster as a bullpen piece. Let's see if it happens. Let's see if he can make something of the talent that he does have. But I want to end with uh, Kenta Maeda, who says he wants to be posted um, and and come over here. It's very early stages for him. He was somebody who had some rumors around him last year. Obviously, it never came to fruition, but now we're looking at him again. What do you know about Maeda? What kind of ceiling does he have? I know you've written about him. Talk to me a bit about him, about Kenta Maeda. Well, a uh, little bit of a uh, spoiler for my piece tomorrow. Um, I, I, I did a piece in the past where I looked at uh, just his stuff and tried to uh, put together some comps based on pitch FX data. We have a little bit of pitch FX data for Maida uh, based on an appearance in the World Baseball uh, uh, Classic. And um, the uh, one, the Japanese uh, comp was uh, a younger Kenshin Kawakami uh, because Maida has a good uh, breaking ball and um, uh, you know n- not a very fast fastball and good command. Um, and Kawakami, people remember as a bust, but he was he was not a posted player. He was a guy who came over after. He's a, he's a million when he came over. Yeah, he was old. He was like 34, so, uh, 35, So yeah, so uh, you know, so you know, never don't worry too much about that. But it is it does represent the sort of lower end of his comps, and sure. in the higher end, uh, I, I saw some similarities with Aaron Nola, um, in that uh, there's not a ton of 
velocity there, um, and so maybe there's going to be some homer issues. But good command, good breaker, uh, you know, good good ability to spot the fastball, and then uh, their changeups were an exact match for each other in terms of, of movement. So That's very interesting. Uh, so a little bit of, a, of an older Aaron Nola or a younger Kenshin Kawakami. And I'm going to run that through. I've, well, I'll tell you guys, whatever. Uh, it's just, just us here. Um, I, uh, I ran that through last year's pitchers to kind of find the, the Aaron Nola-ish type pitchers. And uh, I got Rick Porcello and Jordan Zimmerman. So I think that represents kind of uh, the range. I guess the, the very bottom of the range is, is, is you know, old Kenshin Kawakami. Yeah, but, old, old I mean, Kawakami. But, but Maeda would been, be coming in 28. Yeah, and Maeda's been pretty good. I mean, he's been really good over there. He hasn't been as good as Darvish and, and Tanaka were, uh, but he was a little bit better than Kuroda was uh, before he came over. So I think, the, I think uh, something between Porcello, uh, Zimmerman, and Nola, somewhere in there, uh, you've got your your range. Zimmerman would be a very great outcome for him, but is seems possible because Zimmerman does it with a fastball, curve, slider, and uh, good command, and uh, gives up the occasional home run. And uh, but but has has been a good pitcher for a while based on basically similar things that Maeda would be would be banking on. So Absolutely. I think Zimmerman is the very top of the the outcome list, and and. Uh, you know, Portello is not terrible, but he would he would represent a, a, a more m- mediocre outcome. So I'm going to write about uh, how much that would be worth and how much a team should be willing to pay for that sort of deal. That'll be very interesting. I mentioned Maeda is going to come over at age 28 if he comes over this year. Um, in, in for Hiroshima in the Japanese league, he has a 2.39 ERA, uh, a 2.68 runs average so that that includes obviously his unearned runs excuse me 264 7.4 strikeouts per nine 1.9 walks per nine and uh 7.5 hits all leading up to a 105 whip for Maeda and that's in 1510 innings uh eight seasons in the Japanese league so you know in Nice numbers profile, like you said, not quite as high as the, the other guys that we've seen, Darvish and, and Tanaka, but he's not going to get paid that kind of money either necessarily. Um, what is it? That's a flat posting fee now, isn't it? $20 million? I think it's a max. A uh, max so of that, 20, okay. But, but for a guy like Mida, just he's be gonna like, be twenty. Hey, who's willing to pay the 20 And Yeah. That, the reason they did that was that so they get a little bit more um, – uh, they give their players a little bit more uh, – Market. Uh, no leverage in terms of like, you know, they did the, the the worst outcome for Japan. I think was the Hisashi Iwakuma stuff, where Iwakuma was supposed to come over With and then uh, and then didn't make it over uh, and had to come back because then you've got a there's sort of an honor situation there where it's like, you know, uh, you know, congratulations, you were posted, we're all happy for oh you're then, back, oh you're we always back, wanted you. we always uh, we always wanted you, we definitely didn't try to sell you. Uh, we did kind of spend the posting fee already, though, so you're going to have to work that off. But, hey, welcome back to the team. You're the number five starter. Sorry, we replaced you. Yeah. But uh, um, yeah, so I think that they like giving the players a little more leverage. So now Mida, I think he'll have basically like four or five teams will be at the table. Okay. And he'll be able to talk to them, and they'll have to sort of outbid each other. So there will be – a secondary bidding process where the, the, the second contract will have to be um, 
close to market value minus 20 million, right? Yes. Uh, so th there's not as much value for the base for the American teams, and there's not as much value for the Japanese teams. Uh, but the players are a little bit better off, and the the process is more likely to be concluded with the player coming over once he's posted. So I think yeah, instead of getting locked into one team, buddy. But you know, it, here I did like a, a, a I took their strikeout rates in Japan. I indexed them to the strikeout rates in Japan because. Uh, uh, Japanese strikeout rates kind of have gone up and down. They've done some weird things to the ball and stuff. Okay. And um, the uh, and I took a three-year average of their uh, index strikeout rate going into their posting. You Darvish, number one. His uh, strikeout rate was 156% um, oh my God. Of, uh, of the regular strikeout rate over there. So if that's the equivalent of somebody having a 30% strikeout rate here. So he was basically Kershaw over there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Kaz Ishii uh, was oh, second. I remember him. Uh, he had a good strikeout rate. Uh, he had the worst command uh, of the, of any uh, posted pitcher. So uh, that's that's sort of goes in line with what he saw when he came to America. Absolutely. Uh, and um, <clears throat> Tanaka. Uh, third is Tanaka, one thirty nine. Uh, fourth is Matsuzaka, one thirty two. Daisuke. Uh, Kawakami coming over at 34 uh, was 124. Kei Igawa coming over at 27 was 122. And Kenta Maeda after Kei Igawa at wow. 120. So but, not, not a um, huge strikeout guy, which that brings those comps that you made right right back into focus. Yeah. Zimmerman, Jordan Zimmerman, Aaron Nola, Rick Porcello. None of them has ever really been a huge strikeout guy. Obviously, Noel only has the one year, and his strikeouts were impressive for what the expectations were. But it's also his first tour. We'll see where he kind of levels out. Zimmerman is—I think he's had like one spike strikeout year, and I think it was actually 2014. He, he definitely bounced back down this year, 7.3. Again, that's not bad or anything like that. But, but uh, he's not going to be that frontline strikeout guy. But then there is there is something you know in his favor, which is the the three year index walk rate. Got to be uh, great. Number one is Tanaka. Uh, number two is that thirty four year old Kawakami. Uh, number three is Kuroda. Came over at thirty three, uh, and then Maeda's right there. Okay, so yeah, that's great. That's perfect. So, and and uh, his number was sixty six. So uh, he's uh, basically like a five percent walk rate over here. We'll take that all day, even 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 if the strikeouts are closer to seven, you know. Um, yeah, I mean nine. that's why that's why Nola just leapt out of the page. I mean, there's a guy seven strikeouts uh, per nine, two walks walks per nine, or or if you want in percentages, sort of nineteen and five. Uh, that's that's uh, and then the stuff actually matched up. So Nola was a great comp. The only problem for me in terms of turning that into how much you should spend is uh, Nola is like twenty three or whatever. Exactly. And I don't want to project Nola out into his year 27 and decide how much he's going to be worth when he's 27. So, that's where Zimmerman uh, and Porcello come into focus. That's, that's why I'd rather figure out who today's Nolas are. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I'll be very interested to kind of read that. Are you including that that indexed data in, in, in the piece? Uh, that was it. That was the first piece I did. I, I did a piece called Looking for a Kentamida Comp. Um, and this one is going to be called something like uh, how much how much should you pay for Kenta Maeda? Should you pay Kenta Maeda? Excellent. Well, we'll look forward to that. You know, that's going to wrap it up for our mega episode. We gave him two hours talking trades. Damn. Now they can take that. That should that should cover your whole drive to your grandma's, aunts, mothers, <laughs> mother-in-laws, wherever you're going. Uh, I don't know why I said only 
female versions of family members there. You could also be going to your dad's, grandpa's, uncle's, brother's, whatever. Wherever you all might be going or even if you're just hanging at home, you still want to listen to podcasts. I know I will be. Uh, so, you know, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving with the family. I figure we'll be back sometime next week. I don't know exactly when, but uh, hopefully two episodes within three days is enough to tide the folks over for the holidays. Yeah, that was fun. Are uh, you going to the winter to... meetings? I'm going to the winter meetings. Oh, sweet. Okay, great. I, I didn't 100% know that, so hopefully we'll get tons of info from you out of that. Maybe we can even get you to uh, to do some yeah. when, I don't know while you're I don't there. Know. Let's probably not doing it, but maybe is the we did uh, we actually did one uh, podcast from the winter meetings one time because he was he was there last time. <laughs> he can't go this year. Uh, he just got Colette just got a promotion. That's said right. it was really tough to ask for time off right after that, so he can't go. So maybe uh, you can chase down some folks in the hallway and get them on with me, and we'll have a, we'll have a nice little uh, trio podcast or something. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe you'll just see somebody cool there. Maybe you'll see Kent Maeda himself. <laughs> no, I'm just. At the very that, least, we can have a fun podcast from the halls there. And, exactly. Uh, with the, with the yeah. ambient noise of everyone bouncing around. Hopefully some great moves. Like I said, uh, we both feel like this is going to be another huge hot stove. I think, you, I think you highlighted a great point as to why these new GMs are coming in. They're ready to make their mark. Get guys out that don't fit their philosophy. Bring in some new guys. I think we're going to have plenty to talk about. We'll be back some point next week. And then it's two weeks, actually, that you're, that you're going to go to the winter meetings, right? That's the 8th through the 11th? Yeah. And Lord help us for content in those two weeks. <laughs> it's going to be really interesting. But we'll figure it out. We'll hey, at least I have, to, I have to remember that. A piece to run on uh, on uh, pitchers uh, moving to the pen with peak velocity. Yes, their, their peak velocity <laughs> as starters as maybe a hint of what they might be able to do as a reliever. There, There's one piece of, of work for you. Uh, but we'll wait, we'll wait on the Maeda piece, and we'll wait to talk to you again in a week. Have a great Thanksgiving. You know, take care. You too.